and it's like it's like this book talk creator and they're like books i don't see on book talk and then it's like the four books you always see on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh my gosh nobody's talking about colleen hoover it's like no everyone's actually talking mm-hmm. about colleen hoover mm-hmm. I, I think you you misunderstood the assignment yeah <laughs> so and welcome to the Book Jar Podcast, where both me and my friend Megan discuss book-related news and topics on a bi-weekly basis. How are you today, Megan? I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> I am good. I am doing good. So how this works is each week we pull our next topic out from the book jar, which is right on the table next to us, and we discuss it in the following week. So last week we pulled out a topic. I'm going to be super secretive about it, as always, because we need to talk about our most recent reads, which... By the look on your face, you were unprepared for, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> I'll um, figure it out. Don't worry about me. Yeah, it's all good. So I I read a few books since we okay. last convened. I'll start because you look absolutely... I've never seen a person look <laughs> so panicked. Uh, so I read a few books, and I, I can't quite recall if I mentioned Wild Card already in I one of our last remember. ones. I, I feel like you, you might have, but I don't know if yeah. you finished it or what. Yeah, so Wildcard uh, is Warcross sequel um, mm-hmm. by Marie Lu. Uh, so this was, yeah, I did finish it. I, I, I'm not going to talk too much about it because it's hard to talk about a sequel without spoiling too much. Yeah. Uh, was not as big of a fan of it as I was of Warcross. Okay. Um, and I'm going to kind of leave it at that. That's going to be my that's that's gonna be my whole point. That's fair. I also read We Were Liars by E. Lockhart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't want to spoil anything about this book because you should go into it with no expectations, which is exactly how I went into it. But I will say that I think it was a very tremendously written book. I agree. Yeah. And I'm going to stop talking there. <laughs> uh, I also read uh, two of the Witcher books. So oh, wow. I read uh, Sword of Destiny, which is considered to be like a prequel. It's actually... So you wrote, like, two prequels, so, like, one is 0.5, and then the other one is 0.75, <laughs> which I think is really funny. Uh, but, yeah, so this happens, like, right before the first book, uh, and it was it was okay. I have a big problem, um, so it's by Andre Sapkowski, um, and it's translated by David E. French, or David A. French, rather. Other vowel. Wrong vowel. <laughs> uh, but my biggest thing with, like, the prequel books is... There's a lot of, like, unnecessary misogyny mm-hmm. in it. Like, it's not really adding anything, mm-hmm. which I was just, like, I, I could have done without it. Like, you you didn't need to mention that, like, the barmaid was, like, getting felt up by the dude and, like, that Geralt wasn't going to do anything about it. Like, I think that was, like, kind of the other part is, like, Geralt at all times was just, like, and to a lot of the Mm. stuff that was happening which is really weird because then when I started reading the actual books like he's not really like they keep saying like witchers have no feelings and then he like very much has feelings so I think it's just really funny (laughs) but Blood of Elves so like the first book was actually like really tremendous Mm -hmm. um and there's still a lot of misogyny like in the world which I feel like maybe we could have I don't know I have lots of thoughts about that but I really I'm, I'm really enjoying it and I'm reading the second one right now as well which um, is, I believe, The Time of Contempt, although don't 
get too mad at me if I'm wrong about that. Uh, that one is also quite good. So I'm enjoying both of those. Uh, the only kind of complaint I know you would have about these books is the chapters are really long. Oh no. So they're like 20 to like 40 page chapters. Oh, like no easy, like that's like yeah. a normal chapter. And so, like, I kind of like it because it covers a lot of stuff. Like, you're not, like, it's not, like, this itty-bitty chapter that, like, barely discusses anything. So it, like, talks about a whole scene and it, like, kind of comes to its own little, like, mini conclusion. So they feel almost kind of, like, almost short stories in a way. But, like, also it is, like, really long. Like, you, like I have, like, two chapters left in the book, but it, and there's, like, 100 pages left. And so wow, I'm just, like, I'm not going to stop in the middle of a chapter. So you have to make sure, like... You're ready to sit down for like 50 pages yeah well that sounds like a really interesting series yeah you finally started it i remember when you bought that well so i did i read <laughs> one of the prequels like a while ago yeah and then i was like i'm gonna read all of them and then i didn't mm -hmm. and i don't really know why other than like i just didn't um but yeah I'm, I'm getting through them all right now so i'm pretty happy to get that off my list as well nice but also it's it's very it's a pretty enjoyable read Mm hmm I so one of the reasons I gave you a look was mostly because I've been reading the same book oh okay since the last couple podcasts I'm sure um and that's the you may by Sifton Tracy Anna Pear okay and yeah like this is where the whole long chapters are getting the best of you getting the best of me I'm almost done mm -hmm. but the thing is like I don't know I think it's probably five to six hundred pages have like probably about 100 pages left as well but i'm on chapter eight i'm on chapter eight in a 600 page book that's not okay <laughs> that's not okay so it's it's not a book i was expecting it to be yes okay so i think that's another reason is it's like harder for me to get into like it's better now that i'm like almost done it and i mm -hmm. kind of understand where the author was going with it but you know i'll be done it by the next podcast for sure Okay, I'm gonna hold you to that. Yeah, you're I like, like I, I regret saying that. Yeah, but I mean, I've almost done it, so I feel like I can finish it. But mm -hmm. so that's why I'm just I'm just struggling. It's kind of like a reading slump, but more like a the book is too th long slump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what's slowing me down. That's okay. We all have those. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, then on to today's topic, which is books you've read that weren't me mainstream and don't think anyone else has read but wish they would mm -hmm. which is a really convoluted way of saying really unpopular books that you've liked or really like not popular books is rather a better term yeah for i would say unpopular because that could be like, like bad books bad books but yeah like ones that just probably didn't have like the media hyper hype around it yeah so i have quite a few and i i'm, I'm just gonna preface this right off the bat because i would judge any list you know, because I see this on TikTok all the time, though. I see it, and it's, like, it's like this book talk creator, and they're like, books I don't see on book talk. And then it's, like, the four books you always see on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, nobody is talking about Colleen Hoover. It's like, no, everyone's actually talking about mm -hmm. Colleen Hoover. Mm -hmm. I, I think you you misunderstood the assignment. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I actually did try to go for ones that I don't see a lot, especially on social media. That was kind of my gauge. And then I know we both looked at, like, Goodreads mm -hmm. and other, like, book 
review sites and just kind of looked at how many reviews there were mm-hmm. to gauge with whether it was kind of in this category. And I think most of them had under 10,000 reviews. Yeah. Which, like, the more popular ones have a lot more than that. Um, so do you want to start or do you want me to? I can go ahead. Okay, so I'm going to start with We All Love the Beautiful Girls by Joanne Brule. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a work of contemporary fiction. It's also like you could categorize it as adult fiction. It tells the story of a Canadian family whose world is shattered after their best friend cheats them out of millions of dollars at the exact same time that their teenage son passes out in the snow at a party, resulting in the loss of his hand. Mm. A lot going on right off yeah. the bat. Uh, that these two events wreak havoc on their family, their identity, and their community. It takes place in suburb in a suburb in Quebec and really highlights the reality of how quickly life can change. Uh, one of the greatest themes in the book becomes discussing like a phantomness of what one once was. So it's a lot of looking back at a life that they maybe didn't value in the moment that they had it. And the the whole beginning is like reads like a dream life. Like, they talk about all these vacations they go on, all this stuff. So uh, it, it's really kind of the the contrast there as well. Uh, everyone in the novel feels the impact of how much has been lost, and they deal with it in their own mostly in dysfunctional and, like, very unhealthy ways. Um, and Joanne Pruel is, like, not necessarily, like, an unknown author. Like, I wouldn't call her, like, really indie or anything like that. Uh, actually, one of her novels, Anthem of a Reluctant Prophet, was turned into a film for the Vancouver Film Festival a couple of years ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. I don't think I hear a lot of people talking about this mainstream. It's mostly like, I don't want to say literary because I don't even think I've heard people talking about it in necessarily that regard. But I think this is kind of a good contender for like a really good contemporary adult fiction book that it has those harder themes, but also is dealing with like the realities of real life too. It's not just about the loss. It's not just about that. It's also like, how do you continue after that? Like, how do you continue living after these very like traumatic things have happened to you? Um, it's also just like really well written. Like I really love her writing style. And yeah, so I would say like, I'd recommend it to anyone who's looking for a contemporary adult fiction book. Um, wants a story that mixes a fast-moving plot with really interesting themes and is looking for still solid writing with all of that. Um, yeah, that's, that's my sounds, first one. So that's a good, that's a good choice. I've never heard of it. You've never heard of it. Never yeah. heard of her author. So the reason I picked <laughs> it up as well is because it has a beautiful cover. So there's a couple different covers, but the one cover I saw was um, it was like a picture of a girl, and then there was like a paint smear over her face. That one sounds familiar. I think I showed it to you. You must have, because that's this one's very familiar. It's very beautiful. Like the the book itself is very beautiful, and that's why I picked it up. And I was just like, I'm buying this because yeah. it's pretty. Yeah. And then I read that it took place in Quebec, which one of my other favorite like contemporary fiction books also takes place in Quebec. And I don't know why that's such a great setting (laughs) for marissa but anyway so then i saw that and i was like oh this may be like my new favorite and it kind of was which was really surprising yeah look at the book i love those books where like they surprise you in being yeah one of your favorites like you're like yeah "Yeah, you know i never heard anything about this but we'll give it a try yeah it's like my favorite pastime is just picking up a book and like you're like like whatever you're not supposed to judge by this cover but like but it just calls to you, man. I, I think you should just buy it. Exactly. Which is how I've ended up with so many books. That's the problem yeah, I have. That's the problem is you buy it for the art 
Yeah, I just I love the beauty of books. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think people should read it. Yeah. All right, my first one is The Bone Houses by Emily Lloyd Jones. Um, this follows a grave digger named Adderin uh, spending her nights killing and burying bone houses. So mm-hmm. basically dead people who just don't want to die. Okay. Um, along with her nightly duties, she's also in charge of taking care of her siblings and trying to keep her family afloat financially. Um, and then one day the bone houses decide to leave the forest for the first time and start attacking innocent people. A newcomer, map maker Ellis, enters Rin's life, which, you know, ironically, from being lost, he's a map map maker. (laughs) (laughs) And together they go on a journey to find a castle that should have the answer to defeat the bone houses and find something about Ellis's, uh, parentage, parentage, parentage. So this is a young adult kind of gothic-esque okay type book um obviously bone houses is just another term for zombies mm-hmm. uh this book i found honestly i think it was like an amazon suggestion because i bought i don't know some right. some sort of ya book with similar vibes i'm sure and but i've never yeah like i haven't seen it on social media mm-hmm. haven't heard about this author before yeah and it was just like something unique to me like that's why I picked it up because I was like okay I haven't read a book about zombies it's all about you know vampires or werewolves or I think at the time that this book came out it was like more dystopian type mm-hmm. type of book so to me it was just like a a unique plot like it was yeah. something different and plus like she's a grave digger like how cool is that I don't know like I thought that was really neat cool <laughs> Trauma-inducing. Yeah, maybe for her it's a little trauma-inducing. <laughs> but, like, and she's just, like, a like a good main character. Like, she's just yeah an interesting main character. Yeah. Um, And it follows, like, Welsh folklore. Oh, that's cool. And settings, which is something I haven't really seen in, like, paranormal YA genres before. So that was a little bit different for me. And I think, like, maybe the reason this book isn't or hasn't been as popular is because... Like, you are focusing on zombies, like, yeah. and, like, a lot of people might be hesitant picking it up, like I was. Yeah. But also, at the same time, I was intrigued by it. Yeah. Because I was like, you know, this can be either really, like, gory and weird and, like, awful, awful, or it's going to be, like, pretty well done. Mm-hmm. And it was the latter. It was, like, really well done. She looked at, like, zombies in a whole different way. Like, they were actual, like, they're people. They're actually dead people. So, like, you still yeah. respect the dead, like. So I like that aspect of it. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, oh, there's a dead person who eats brains. Like, no, they're like someone's loved one. Yeah. So it was just a really unique way that um, the author did that. It also kind of reminded me of Sabriel a little bit. Because yeah. It is like that necromancer type that of. sounds really interesting. Yeah. Like it was just, it's a really beautiful, like detailed world and concept that I thought that um, Emily did a good job of doing. And the characters themselves so Rin and Ellis complement each other really well. Okay. So if you like kind of like a well-done romance, that's good. Which we all do. Which we all do. And yeah, it's just like a one-of-a-kind book that I highly recommend for anyone looking for. A different type of read. A different type of read if you're just like getting sick of the typical paranormal <laughs> stuff out there. Try this one. The Bone Houses. Okay, I'm gonna kind of jump off of that into another like kind of darker novel so I'm going to elect here by 
Juliana Baggett, which is a fiction, and I would call it like a dark dystopian. So we're not thinking like the Hunger Games. We're thinking like the world is really fucked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Pierre tells the story of a world gone to basically shit due to huge atomic bombs that were set off years ago. Uh, it's divided side society into two worlds, so the survivors and the peers, and the peers live in what is called the Dome. The Dome is where all the people who had enough wealth and privilege fled to when the atomic bombs detonated. Uh, so they live their life, lives literally unharmed by the bombs, and in like an almost like you get a sense it's kind of a utopian society, but like in that way that like there's something very off about it. Mm-hmm. So everyone else lives in this post-apocalyptic hellhole, like literally um, due to the atomic bombs, you have people being fused to objects. So you have our MC, our main character, Presia, who has a doll head for a hand. Uh, You have other characters who have fused with each other or with birds or with their babies or with like various objects in very like grotesque ways. And like the descriptions of them are quite grotesque, like she Mm -hmm. doesn't really hold back on that. Um, and it's a very dark world. There's food, food shortages, food shortages, diseases, and mutants. Uh, it also like the main plot of Presia is actually her coming of age, where she's gonna have to sign up for like to be conscripted into like as a soldier. And if she doesn't pass like the physical abilities test, which she might not because she can't really like because she has a doll head for a hand, she can't really like potentially hold a gun. They'll be used as live targets. So it's, like, a really, like, really bleak world. Yeah. And so it follows, like, part of the novel follows her, and the other part follows uh, Partridge, which is the most hilarious (laughs) name ever, uh, who is a young man who lives in the dome. um, And he's attempting to uncover what isn't being shared with him inside of this seemingly idyllic life. Um, And this book, like, I think it kind of got a little bit big when it first came out in 2012. But it didn't get really, like, that big. Um, partially, I think, in, in, like, it got overshadowed by, like, The Hunger Games and, like, uh, Divergent and the other mm-hmm. dystopian novels. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing, because um, just like those, it is a trilogy, but it it was marketed as, like, young adult. And I didn't really, like, when I read it, I was an adult and I was like, yeah, this was perfect. Like, it wasn't a young adult. And so it was actually kind of surprising to see it, like, categorized as a young adult. I was like, I don't know if I would call it that. Like, yeah, you could definitely read it when you're, like, 17 or 18. But, like, you wouldn't want to read it in your, like, mid-teens. Like, I wouldn't have really thought of it as, like, a mid-teen novel. Yeah, and it definitely doesn't doesn't sound like it. (laughs) Yeah. No. (laughs) So I think that was one of kind of the big mistakes is, and I saw that in a lot of the reviews I was looking at in preparation for this, was a lot of people being like, it's just really gross, and I don't like it. And I was like, (laughs) that's kind of the point. Like, it's fine that you don't like that, but it is kind of a point of the book, is that, like, it is really gross. It's not kind of, um, you know, trying to make it, you know, a little bit lighthearted or anything. Well, and I find that, like, how you compare it to The Hunger Games, it's like, that is kind of like a fantasized version of dystopia yeah like any of those kind of young adult dystopian novels so it's like yeah. that one is like you want dystopian that's yeah. dystopian yeah let's talk about how like society would actually fall apart yeah. kind of thing uh the other thing i saw in like many of the reviews was like they were calling that it was too much of a suspension of disbelief to believe that like instead of dying from radiation mm-hmm. and like cancer people got fused to objects and like I kind of understand where you're coming from but like also like I don't know Spider-Man got bitten by a radioactive spider like sometimes we like (laughs) 
we just have to like yeah. have that so like going into it definitely know that you're gonna have to like suspend your science disbelief a little mm-hmm. bit at the beginning um and i know she does a lot to like she talks a lot about the world and like the politics and like that kind of stuff and i felt i haven't read it in a couple of years so i might I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't hold up as much Mm -hmm. going back. But I do remember a lot of that stuff making a lot of sense of like how I thought the world would kind of fall apart in those situations. It definitely also definitely appealed to me that like like 1% of society just decided to fuck off to their own little dome and be protected. Like that sounds right up everyone's alley. Totally. Totally. Um, So like it's still one of my favorite dystopians. Like when people ask me for that, I always ask them if they've recommended Pure, and it's almost always a no. Uh, it's just an incredibly dark world, uh, so just be prepared for that going in. But mm-hmm. other than that, I highly recommend it, and it is like very grotesque, but there's moments of very nice beauty in it, so it's still really enjoyable. And it it like struck me a lot as like Bioshock S. Oh yeah, which is a video game for those who don't dabble in video games, which you have. Um, kind of monsters called splicers and they're essentially humans who have taken too much atom i believe mm-hmm. and kind of fucked themselves over like psychologically yeah so now they just want to murder you yeah and it has that kind of like dark feel of like the remnants of a society that once was and then, like, people trying to persevere in spite of it, except instead of just being a lone guy at the in, fighting off all these splicers, yeah. you know, there's like a whole society. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I always like it when authors really like go into detail of how they think society would fall apart in these situations. Just to, that is like the dystopian ness yeah. of it, right? Like, that's why we're picking up dystopia, not just like a dark fantasy or something, yeah. right? Because you want to see that, like, structure of society and i i thought the inequality was really interesting because i i mean it's kind of highlighted in the hunger games too but like mm-hmm. it just felt a lot more like they just fucked off and they were like kate bye die yeah instead of like manipulating them in the way that they do in the hunger games it was literally like yeah i'm gonna go live a perfect life and you can just go fuck yourself mm-hmm. so which i thought was like horrific obviously but like kind of an interesting take yeah, which, you know. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, you know, yeah. Elon, Elon Musk has got an escape route for sure. Did you hear Jeff Bezos' boat? <laughs> he built a new boat, and he can't get it out into the ocean because there's a bridge in the way, and they don't want to dismantle the bridge. For his boat. For his boat. So. And he's pissed about it, I assume? Probably. I mean, it made news. So, yeah. anyways, thought I should mention that. <laughs> Did he just think they were going to... I think originally the plan was... To dismantle the bridge, this historic bridge, because, you know, he's a billionaire, so we're just going to dismantle this bridge. I wonder how much of that was, like, him being like, oh, I'll pay you, and then it got built, and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to pay you, and they're like, well, we're not going to dismantle the bridge. So you got to take apart your yacht or whatever. Anyways, I just, you know, I feel like it gets dystopians a little closer than we think it is. (laughs) All right, my next one is The Bone Witch. So another bone bone. That's that's <laughs> that's the thread for Megan, really. Everything has bones somehow related to it. Anyways, <laughs> so The Bone Witch by Rin Chupeco. Uh, this one was published in 2017. So it's like a, I mean, it's getting a little old now. I, I would say, you know, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> right? Anyways, so this follows Taya. Um, she finds out she has dark magic powers at her brother's funeral. So this is uh, obviously like a fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. Um, in her grief, she draws a rune automatically and raises him from the dead. Another rising dead zombie. You like uh, your necromancers <laughs> and your... I just feel like grave diggers people need more necromancers in their life yeah so here you guys go you're welcome (laughs) uh so with her brother as her walking dead familiar she becomes the apprentice of the bone witch michaela one of the last in existence traveling to a new kingdom and entering the world of asha or witch train even though taya is set apart from the other asha with her darker brand of magic she's still taught everything in asha in high society must know dancing singing flower arranging and history but also fighting from the Kayla, she learns how to control and communicate with the dead in preparation for her life, raising and then killing monsters called Deva, who regenerate every few years and kill anything in their path as part of an old Deva. Part of a, sorry. It's part of an old curse. Ah, there's yes. a lot of words in there and I got confused. <laughs> <laughs> As her mentor Michaela's health begins to fail, Taya readies herself to face her first Deva without her mentor's help. So it's told in two different timelines okay so you have Taya when she's another fifth. megan favorite yep love me a dual timeline yeah um so it follows Taya when she's apprentice at age 15 yeah and then when she's age 17 where she's living as a hermit in caves on a distant beach and you're like why yeah so she's telling her story to a bard who ends up finding her and yeah it's it's a very interesting concept. That's why I picked it up because you kind of start reading this book and you find that Taya's in exile and she's wanting to raise these Deva, which we just found out are horrible monsters. She wants to raise them herself and attack this, this city. Yeah. And whereas her 15 year old self is just like kind of like this innocent girl. She's trying to figure out her powers. Yeah. She's, you know, like trying to do good. So you're like, okay, what happened from age 15 to age 17? It's where... just occurred to me why you like dual timelines. What? <laughs> <laughs> so you like them because it immediately creates a mystery. True. True. So like you don't know why she's doing this. You just know the outcome of what she's trying to do like later on. And yeah. you're trying to figure out why. Yeah. Yeah, this is, that is the. Uh... Look at that. You got me. I figured you, you figured me out, guys. She's done it again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so it's an interesting concept. Um, I would say so it's inspired by Filipino witch doctors. Um, and she the author also draws um influences from Middle Eastern folklore. So and obviously some like geisha-esque stuff with like flower arranging and singing and singing. Right. All of that. So there is a nice combination of cultures and everything that the author draws into her writing Mm -hmm. and she just makes like a really beautiful world with it and really good at having a good and bad magic system right within it um i would say it wasn't it's not super popular at least when i read it probably because of the dual timeline yeah i think that got that can be really confusing yeah and even when i started reading the book and if i didn't pick it up consistently I would kind of be like, what's happening? Yeah, you would get lost. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those books that nothing is really, like, you don't really find out too much in the first book. Yeah. So at the end, you're like, okay, so why is she still doing this? 
what, yeah. like why is she going to attack the city? You don't really find that out until the second book. So it right. is a trilogy. So there's three books in it. So the second book is really what kind of starts tying everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first book is kind of building up to it. But it was just such a like beautiful world and concept that I overlooked it. Mm-hmm. And there is it is a little bit slower paced, but I think it's just again it's a unique mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it's a unique thing, and I don't know. It was a beautiful cover. That's why I picked it up, just like you did. Yeah, and it'll get you. It'll get you, and I'm glad I did because it turned out to be one of my favorite books of that year. Um, and it's actually going to be part of a book subscription. Oh, interesting. If okay. not already, it might be. I think it's Illuminate. Illuminicrate or however you say it if you've heard of that one mm-hmm. and it has like special edition covers and stuff like that and I, that makes me excited because I feel like it is one of those books that needs more hype yeah and it's just really well done nice hope I did a good job I like that <laughs> yeah I hope I, I, hope I did a good job yeah there we go <laughs> Uh, I like that. That one sounds really interesting, actually. It's um, very interesting. Very, very cool. I, I'm curious about that one. Yeah, you should read it. I love books where a main character is just portrayed as almost like a villain. Yeah. But you're like, okay, hey, well, how did they get to there? Like, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So Good. I like that. Morally gray. Yes, exactly. Okay, so I'm going to talk about The Little Black Book of Stories. By A.S. Byatt, which I think I've mentioned before on this podcast, but wanted to talk in a little bit more detail. So A.S. Byatt is not particularly, like, unknown either. This is, again, a very, like, literary author, though. Mm -hmm. So if any kind of, like, most literary circles will kind of have heard of Byatt. But I think outside of that, she's kind of relatively unknown. Uh, So The Little Black Stories, The Little Black Book of Stories, rather, is very classically like her. So in the sense that it contains several short but bleak and kind of funny short stories that are formatted much like I would describe them as like adult fairy tales. They have that like kind of fairy tale sense about them. Mm -hmm. Potentially another way that you could describe them is they read almost like really long ghost stories, which is uh, like they're just tales that sometimes turn a little bit funny. They often deal with darkness and like there's lots of like beings in the books or the stories that like you're not always sure what they are and yeah yeah I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so in this collection you read five stories. Uh, I'll talk about a couple of them. So the first one is called The Thing in the Forest um, and it follows Penny and Primrose who are two wartime little girls. They meet on an evacuee train and discuss the world around them through their like they're like dealing with everything that's happening. When they reach their new home, they see a thing in a nearby forest. And then it's kind of about how that moment like impacts them and the rest of their lives. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, and then my favorite story in the collection was actually A Stone Woman, which tells the tale of an etymologist who, while she's in mourning and is potentially like she thinks she's dying, uh, she begins to like start to like shed stone. Oh. And, like, she notices that, like, her her navel is, like, rocked very suddenly. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of about her, like, slowly dealing with the fact that she's, like, turning to stone. Which is, like, hilarious, but, like, also terrifying, right? Like, and then she meets a uh, stone carver, which is just really ironic. (laughs) And uh, he is, like, showing her around, like, his homeland and stuff like that. And then it's kind of how she turns to stone. And how she then turns into a story. It is, like, very, very sad. Very, very bleak. But also, like, really, really beautiful. Yeah. Like, I'm not doing it justice at all. But, yeah, I I love this by a collection 
a lot. It was one of, it wasn't the first one I read by her, but it was the first one I read without anyone telling me I had to read it. So yeah. I like, had to read the <laughs> other one for the university course. Yeah. But like this one, like I just, I, I love how much information and character she can pack into such a short story. Mm-hmm. But also make it feel somehow like real life. Like they they never feel like they couldn't happen, mm-hmm. even though they're absolutely technically absurd. Yeah. Like obviously there's not people who turn into stone. But like also that metaphor is really beautiful. But like even like a lot of authors will treat something like that as a metaphor and then leave it there. But like she treats it as a metaphor and then like takes it a step further, right? Because like the metaphor of a woman in mourning turning to stone is really beautiful. But then it's like she's realizing she's turning to stone and she's scared. And it's like that, oh wait, now it's like a horror story. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's almost like she just keeps pushing it until it can't go any further. No idea if that made any sense. No, but it does. Uh, I actually really think you would enjoy that. I think you would think they were, like, really interesting. It's a really great way to intro, like, more literary kind mm-hmm. of short stories. And it's a great way to intro stor- short stories in general. Um, Just, like, that fairy tale, ghost story-esque feel that they have feels really relatable. Mm-hmm. And, like, very, like, also, like, open. Like, I feel like anyone could kind of jump into them regardless of like how much or how often they read also like they're just really dark and I know that there's kind of like a more like maybe turn to like darker stories right now and I I think it could do really well if if only more people would read it kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah AS by it I like the sounds of that I want to read that you're intrigued I can tell I'm intrigued you should hype it up on social media yeah we should where are book talk people yeah there you go I think we have to be our own book talk oh, people. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> All right. My last one here is The Merciful Crow by Margaret Owen. Okay. So it came out a few years ago. This is actually the debut novel of the author. So, I mean, it hasn't had too many years to kind of like gain the hype that I feel like it should have. So here we go. We're still going to. This is where we're going to start hyping where, it. We're hyping it right now. Again, this is kind of like a unique sort of. YA fantasy that yeah. I picked up because it sounded intriguing and just different from everything I've been seeing on the shelves. So um, as a chieftain in the making of the crow cast, 16-year-old Fi abides by one rule, look after your own. So <laughs> her cast of undertakers and mercy killers takes more abuse than coin. But when her family is called to collect royal dead, she's hoping they'll find the payout of a lifetime. Instead, they find a still-living crown prince his too cunning bodyguard and a common foe, the ruthless usurper queen who wants them all dead. What no one expects, expects is Fi's price. She will smuggle the prince across the nation before the queen hunts him down. But in return, he will guarantee the crow's safety once he reigns. If Fi can keep the deal, she'll bring an end to her people's hardship. But with the queen's brutal hunters on their trail, every step puts her family in greater danger, forcing Fi to make the sacrifices that define a true leader. That sounds very good. Oh, it's good. It's good. Um, <laughs> that's it. That's it. I'm not even going to say anything else. Yeah. Just read it. No. Just read it. Uh, <laughs> so it's a duology. Okay. Um, it's, I just find this author has such a unique imagination. Mm-hmm. Like, the way she came up with this society is just, I don't know. It's like, they use birds for to name these casts. Mm-hmm. So it's a monarchy, and they have five different categories. So there's like the Phoenix category, 
this follows the this is the ruling family and their birth rate is fire mm-hmm. there's so again like the magical system is really complex and interesting in it we have the splendid category and that's peacocks swans and doves and that has glamour desire and artistry respectively for their magic Mm -hmm. hunting includes hawks which have blood and healing magic cranes has truth magic owls memory and vultures is hunting then you just have your regular old common birds Mm -hmm. gulls so they control the wind Pigeons, luck, sparrows, um, like refuge and hiding. And then Crow, which is what our main character is yeah. and what her her group is from. They have no magic birthright at all. They actually take teeth from the other uh, casts and they can draw magic from those teeth. Oh. So they can basically do everything as long as they have the teeth. And they like have to burn up these teeth. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, so it was just like, it's just super interesting. Um, Another thing is there's this sinner's plague going around. So I would kind of say like they're they're like plague doctors virtually. Like they wear the actual plague doctor mask, but the crows are immune to this plague. So they go around and provide mercy to people who are suffering from the disease. Oh, interesting. So they're kind of treated like you guys are gross like you guys are just doing the dirty work like they don't have a home they're just travelers they get paid with teeth Mm -hmm. or like not even money like they're just they have no protection anything like that so but they are providing mercy to people who are suffering from this plague so it's like they're doing good things good things shit on yeah so it's it was just really good and then of course you have um there's like romance between a crow and a hawk naturally naturally you have to have that there's lots of like interesting family secrets and plot twists there's a cat named barf barf yes so i just thought i'd highlight that in case just you... just in case you needed another reason. another reason to read it and every single character has their own wants and needs and it really like it really moves the story forward so i think that's what i really enjoy about it yeah because it's not like plot based it's like Okay, like Vi has to save her, um, like her group, but she knows, like she can't without support from other people and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But in her heart, she feels like she is abandoning her group. So yeah. it's just like it's just really good. Yeah, I don't know how what else to say it about sound, it. It sounds really cool. It yeah, like I just think that Margaret is a cool author. <laughs> Shout out Margaret. Um, <laughs> and everyone should give it a chance if you're looking for. Something. Something Something new. Something new and good. Yeah. All right. I have one more. It is a book of poetry. Uh, So I have to live by Aisha Sasha John. Uh, So this is contemporary poetry I would classify it as. Uh, So this is a Canadian poet who, again, I'm just going to say this, like if you're in (laughs) literary circles or you read a lot of poetry, like you might have heard of Aisha Sasha John. Uh, She has won a lot of like writing awards. So she's not exactly, again, not exactly indie. I just don't see, like, I just wish she would go viral instead of, like, Rupi all the time. Yeah. And that's nothing against people who like that kind of poetry, but, like, this is also very accessible poetry. Uh, so I Have to Live is a book of poetry that is kind of, like, struck down to its essentials. Like, if you think of the the phrase, I have to live, like, the, the survivalist instinct of that, she tries to portray that throughout the poems as well. So they're kind of... Some of them are very stripped down to just the the essentials. And that's not saying it doesn't sound beautiful. 
but it's it's not necessarily about the beauty of the poem it's about these like very important themes and it's somehow like very stark and very beautiful at the same time um and i think one of the reasons i love john as a poet is her ability to write clearly about what hurts mm -hmm. and that's like my absolute like that's my absolute favorite type of poetry like you write poetry for a lot of reasons but i like that one the most of like using it as a way to express like pain and things that are not going right and like why we continue on and like that little element of hope uh, so anyone who's looking for a new favorite poet or <laughs> potentially like trying to get a little bit more into like poetry that's not just like really mainstream poetry yeah this is a really great place to start so it's a really accessible place to start and you're not gonna have um it's not gonna be too uh what's the word like elitist okay and i don't mean that in the sense that it's not very very good mm -hmm. she's a very good poet she's very talented uh but it's not pretending that you wouldn't be able to understand it or something like it is very right. accessible uh, so yeah, that's my that's my last one. Yeah, that sounds like a good one too. Yeah, thank you. You had some good 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 so you. I'm very intrigued by some of yours. Yeah. I really uh, I feel like you had a good actually no. I noticed like your first few books were very like dark. Yes, like and and maybe that's like something that's just lacking in the book world in general. Is like yeah. A, you know I can see why people would shy away from dark books. Like even mine are like they're like grimmer versions of YA fantasy yeah not that the books themselves aren't good and positive and stuff but yeah. I just feel like I feel like that's a big reason why some of these haven't gone big like mm -hmm. I like pure in particular is such an interesting idea so it was really interesting like reading some of the reviews and being like oh it was too gross mm -hmm. and I was like I don't really know what you're reading dystopia for <laughs> But mine isn't for, like, a warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah. Like, I never read it if I want a warm, fuzzy feeling or a nice ending or something like that. So I just found that really interesting. But also, yeah, like, there's, I think, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of re different reasons to read books. And it's okay to like, like, lighter books, like, funny books, very rom-commy books. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that, that, like, that's fine. I like a lot of those, too. Like, they're just fun to read. But if you want to mix it up and you want some darker reads, like, there's definitely some really great ones out there that I don't think have succeeded in the ways that they, they should yeah. have. Or they're, like, like, even the Bone Houses, for example. Like, I feel like it was kind of marketed as this grim, dark zombie book. Mm -hmm. But when you actually read it, it's just so much more. Yeah. But people won't read it because it's not marketed right or it's not hyped yeah. up on social media the right way or anything like that. So, yeah. Same thing with, yeah, Pure, I mm -hmm. found. it, But it was, like, the opposite problem. Like, it was marketed. <laughs> the cover is also, it's, like, of a butterfly. So, mm -hmm. like, a lot of people were like, I didn't think it was going to be that dark. And I was like, I don't know. It's an all-black cover with, like, a blue butterfly. Like, yeah. And it says dystopian on it. Like, I, I wouldn't have jumped to, like, pleasant either. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know? Um, But that's clearly not everyone in that case. So, anyway. Let's talk about upcoming reads. What are you reading next? Are you just going to finish your current book? Should I stop looking at you? Yeah. yeah. Same, same. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be reading The Witcher, so I'm not, I'm I'm hoping to actually stay quite focused on that series until I finish it, because yeah. I did abandon it last time, and it took a while to get back to it, so. Yeah. I mean, I should say I might finally finish the Poppy War series. It's been, it's been a bit. 
back of my mind like read me you should do that before <laughs> you start forgetting all the details yeah. well that's the thing like i got a few chapters into the third book and i just wasn't feeling it so i might have to like i might reread it yeah. I, I might not we'll see how i'm feeling when i do that yeah all right let's draw our next topic Okay, so it says, what book started badly, but ended up being good? And that's by Alicia. Hmm. That might be a good one. I feel like I, uh, we'll see. I feel like this might be a little tougher than I think it's going to be. Yeah? Just because I'm trying to, when I was doing research for this one, I was like, oh, that was such a good book. And then it ended up being not good. Not good. So I feel like I have a lot of those books, but a lot of ones that's not. I have a couple that I know, like, when I started reading, Mm -hmm. they won't infringe on this topic too much. But, like, I started it and I was like, oh, my God, this is so boring. Yeah. And I feel like it's going to be mostly those of, like, oh, this is painful. And then you hit one point and you're like, oh, it's so good. Yeah. Um, So we'll see. We'll see. But I don't think this is going to be as easy As as it sounds. As it sounds. I agree. Because it's hard to remember how you started a book, too. Like, I, I, I always have the, like, you remember your overall opinion, not necessarily, yeah. like, which beginnings Why? were, like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this will be interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm excited to see what we come up with. Great. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Book Jar Pod. If you want more, you know, content, we have social media. You can check us out there at the Book Jar Pod on Insta. If you also would like to put your question into our book jar, make sure you send that to us through a DM or a comment on a post. Best way to get a hold of us. Other than that, any kind of final thoughts here, Megan? No, I'm good. All right. Well, with that, we're going to go get back to reading and we'll... I'm going to finish that book (laughs) soon. (laughs) Bye.